Well, it is good to be back uh, with you this uh, this uh, Sunday morning. I did uh, have a, a great vacation. Many of you have asked me about it, uh, but you know, anytime you're away catching lots of big fish, that's a that's a good thing. Uh, some of you may have seen uh, the picture on Facebook of, of the biggest fish I caught a forty. 43-inch uh, northern, a little over 20 pounds. Uh, that was a lot of fun to bring in. I have a good northern pole that I take up there with me, a nice medium-weight pole. I wasn't using that at the time. I caught them. I have a little ultralight I bring for catching uh, small walleye and things like that, and he bit on that uh, a little uh, eight-pound test line, and, and so it was a lot of fun to bring him in. We had, we had a good time up there. Uh, we uh, ate shore lunch every day, walleye, lots and lots of walleye every day for lunch. It was so good. And sometimes we had walleye as an appetizer before supper, and uh, uh, that was good too. We had, we had a great time. Um, I, you know, my best guess is I caught somewhere between 90 and 100 fish that would just catch and release. And uh, that doesn't count the ones we got to take home or eat for shore lunch or for supper or or breakfast, but we ate a lot of walleye, and it was good. But it is, it is uh, good to, to be back uh, here. I've been looking forward to getting back into our series that we've been doing of uh, sermons by request. And, and so this week, as I was in my office and I was kind of flipping through uh, the sermons that, um, uh, the ones that uh, requests that had already come in, and, and I noticed a few more had come in while I was gone, and that's great. It's not too late if there's something you still want to uh, submit, go ahead and, and do that. Um, but I, I was flipping through them, and I, I, I began to realize uh, there were several of them. And in fact, come across five of them had the same theme, not exactly the same question, but were centered around the same theme. And you know, it doesn't take a genius, which is a good thing because what you got is me. It doesn't take a genius to figure out if five different people are asking about this one thing. Maybe that is something that I should address. And so uh, let, me, let me read the request to you. You'll figure out real quickly what the theme is uh, for the message today which might take you by surprise, but we'll, we'll work in that a bit. Uh, it says this, Do our souls go right to heaven when we die? Are our bodies reunited with the soul at the end of time? Or this one, whose handwriting isn't quite as clear. <laughs> what happens at the time of death for a saved person compared to an unsaved person prior to the resurrection time? In both cases, the body dies and is buried, but in either, what is the location and what is the conscious awareness of the spirit in real time? What is sleeping versus being with Jesus in paradise? Do we talk or communicate or do anything with others? Or this one, how not to be so scared about death? Do people have a second chance? Dealing with the death of an unsaved loved one. You know, death is something that people have always had a lot of questions about. I mean, there is so much about it that is unknown, that's a mystery to us. Um, I'm just hazarding a guess here, but I'm, I'm assuming nobody in here has died. And, and uh, as such, we don't know what, uh, what happens uh, in that instance. 
and because of that, there can be some confusion and sometimes fear regarding it. But thanks be to God, it doesn't have to be that way for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Um, we're going to have a number of scriptures that we're going to look at uh, this morning as part of this. Uh, but uh, to get us started, I wanted to look at just one from the book of Hebrews, one verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And uh, I always encourage you to look in your Bibles, uh, seeing the verses for yourself. Um, like I say, we'll be skipping to some different passages, but start Hebrews 9, verse 27 says this, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for this opportunity to meet together. We thank you for your word which clarifies so many questions we might have and gives us the answers to things we cannot see ourselves. And so God, we pray that you would be our teacher this morning. We ask that you would speak to each person and meet them at their point of need this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I decided I'd like to start this message by establishing three facts about death. Uh, most likely, none of these facts are going to be anything that's going to catch you by surprise, something you didn't already know, but it's, it's good for us to remind ourselves and have them established right up front in our thinking so that, that we know them as we're going through this. And, and the first fact about death comes from the verse we uh, started with at the beginning, Hebrews 9.27, where it says, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, right? And the simple, basic point is this, we're all going to die, right? I mean, we know that. And that's one of those things that we know intellectually, but we avoid because we don't want to think about it. But, but we're all going to die. It's like, you know, in, in the movies, you see they, that phrase uttered quite often, right? When whoever, some group of people get into some desperate situation, some trouble, and somebody screams, oh, we're all going to die. And the truth is, we're all going to die. I mean, th that is, right? Uh, uh, we tend to think of this earth as the land of the living and what comes next after the grave as the place of the dead. But it's actually exactly the opposite. This is the land of the dying. We, we are all in the process of dying. And uh, uh, I, I'm not, you know, trying to be discouraging or depressing this morning or anything like that. You, you may have thought, man, I thought we were going to go to church and get some nice Father's Day sermon today. <laughs> and here we come about death and dying. And, and you know, and, and I, I had a good father. He was, a, you know, good, good disciplinarian. There were a few times I thought about death and dying when I was young. Um, but... Uh, but that's, uh, we're not, we're, we're just, uh, we're going to go with death and dying today, not, not Father's Day. I'm, that was the, the request that were made. But, you know, we have to come to grips. We have to come to grips with the fact that, that we're going to die. And, and, you know, the older you get, the easier it is to grasp onto that truth. Uh, when you're young, uh, you, you, you intellectually assent to it but it just doesn't seem real to you. But the truth is, we don't know. 
any age, any time, any day. That's the reality. In fact, that leads us right into the second fact about death, uh, which is death is an enemy. It, it is an enemy. Uh, that's how the Bible describes it. Have you ever had one of those uh, nightmares where someone or something is chasing you, right? And, and, and you are scared and, uh, because you know that that thing behind you intends evil and harm against you. So you run, and you run as fast as you can, but, but you, it just doesn't seem you can run very fast. And no matter where you go and no matter what you do, this thing is right on your tail and chasing you. And, and, and the closer it gets, the more frightened you become because you know that it's going to catch you and fear and dread overcomes you because uh, of, of, of what's happening here. And m maybe you wake up and you wake up, you know, panting or, or sweating, uh, you know, f scared even as you wake because of this dream. You ever had that? Well, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but it, it's not a nightmare, it's real. We are all being pursued by an enemy called death. And no matter what you do, no matter how fast you run, and, and our culture really is running against death, isn't it? You can eat as healthy as you want to eat and exercise all you want to exercise and you can be cautious and care. You can be a germaphobe and wash your hands a hundred times a day and you're still going to get caught. I mean, you might be the healthiest person in the cemetery, but, but you're still going to be in the cemetery. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 puts it this way. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. It is an enemy. And, and the third fact about death, the reason that it is an enemy is because it is not what God planned or intended for our experience. When God created the first humans, put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, He told them that they could eat from all the fruit of any tree that they wanted except for the tree in the center of the garden, the knowledge of good and evil. And His warning for them was very simple. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now the implicit and clear but unstated flip side of that statement is clear, right? If you do not eat from this tree, if you obey, if you follow what I've said, you will not die. That, that, was, that was God's clear intended path and plan for us. Man was made for eternal life. Death was not a part uh, of God's original plan. It was the result of sin. And that's one of the reasons why there is such a, a deep sense of agony and, and grief and pain in our souls when someone dies. Because we know deep down inside, it's not the way it should be. This isn't right. Of course, it's that particular truth that also gives us hope. God had a different plan, and he has a different plan. 
And because of his plan, we don't have to fear death. Unlike the, the rest of the world, we know what happens to a person when they die because the Bible has told us. Now, it may not have given us all the details that we'd like to have. It may not have given us every bit of information we'd like to know, but it does clearly tell us what we need to know so that we do not have to fear death. Uh, the book of Hebrews kind of lays out the plan in a, in a very simple way like this. Speaking about Jesus, it says, Therefore, since the children, and that's us people, and that's the children, since the children share in flesh and blood Jesus, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. In plain English, that means Jesus came, took on flesh and blood, just like we have, so that he could die, but through his death, since he wasn't dying for any sins of his own, he could pay the penalty for our sins and therefore free us from the power of death and therefore free us from the fear of death. Maybe someone says, well, you know, yeah, I, I, I get that, and, and it's great. I mean, eternal life is great, but it's still scary because our physical bodies are still going to die. And, and that's true. As, as we saw, the last enemy of physical death is not going to be overthrown and abolished and, until the end of time when we reign with Christ in his eternal kingdom. So unless Jesus Christ returns first, yes, we are all going to have to face physical death. And because of that, there could be an element uh, of fear because of the unknown of exactly what that's going to be like. But here's the thing we can hold on to. God will give us the grace and the courage and the strength to face death when our time comes. Don't worry that you might not have that right now. He'll give it to you when you need it. There's a, a story, maybe some of you are familiar with the name Corey Ten Boom, who wrote The Hiding Place uh, from uh, a concentration camp in Nazi Germany and this kind of stuff. She tells the story of when she was a little girl and she was afraid of death. And, and her father uh, said to her, Corey, when we go on a train ride, when do I give you your ticket? And she says, well, right before we get on the train. He says, that's the way God will be. When it's your time, he'll give you what you need right before you need it. And, and so we don't have to fear and, and worry that we might not know or be able to face it now. You're not having to face it right now. When you do face it, God will give you the grace to face death. And in the meantime, we can take comfort in, in understanding and knowing and having an assurance about what does happen after death. Be, because we know what happens, we can have a peace and a calm and, and a confidence in facing it. And that comfort comes, I think, first of all, with understanding that the real you is not your body. 
Now, because we're physical beings, we have a real hard time thinking about ourselves apart from thinking uh, uh, of our body. But we need to understand that, biblically speaking, your body is simply a vehicle that God made for you in order to uh, easily and comfortably move around in this physical environment of earth that he created for us. Okay? Now, God made us body, soul, and spirit, so, I mean, that's part of his good design. But you yourself, the real you, is not your body. The real you, your soul, your spirit, resides within the body. And that real you continues to exist even when the body expires and, and ceases to function. And, you know, even the, the secular world, they, they recognize this truth even if they won't really admit it or, or think they are. But just in the way they talk about death, you, you can tell that they, they know that this is true because they will say things like, oh, she's gone or he's gone. Right? If we were just our body, if that's all there was, well, then we're not gone. We're laying right there. Right? They're, they're recognizing that there was something apart from the body that is now missing and gone. And by saying they're gone, they're, they're admitting that this real person has gone somewhere else. What or where they may have gone, um, they don't know, and that's what brings so much consternation and confusion and uncertainty to the world, but not for us, because we do know. Now, we need to understand that there are some religious groups, even some that claim to be Christian, that are still confused uh, because they misunderstand uh, or twist some of the clear teaching of Scripture. For instance, there uh, are some groups out there that claim that a person um, ceases to exist or goes into what they call a state of soul sleep uh, when they die. That there is no consciousness, no interaction with others, no understanding of the passage of time. There's nothing. Uh, it would be like being in a deep, dreamless sleep where you have no awareness of anything going on around you. That's what some people claim happens. And, and they claim this because the Bible uses the word sleep uh, in conjunction with death. Uh, Jesus had a good friend named Lazarus. He was told that he was really sick, but Jesus and the disciples were a long ways away at the time, and they stayed a long ways away. They didn't go to him. And at one point during this sickness, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him from sleep. And they're all kind of confused about that and say, well, well, if he's sick and he's sleeping now, well, wouldn't that be a good thing? We shouldn't wake him up, let him sleep and, and get better. And, and they misunderstood it, thought Jesus was talking about literal sleep. So Jesus clarified for them. He says, so Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And, and what was happening, as you compare Scripture to Scripture, you realize that Jesus was not using sleep as a description of what death is, but rather sleep as a euphemism for death itself, right? I mean, we all have euphemisms for death. 
ours aren't you know usually as gentle and gracious as Jesus here. We we use euphemisms like he kicked the bucket or he bought the farm or you know this type of thing. But Jesus said he had fallen asleep. It, it, but it was the same thing. In the end, it was talking about the fact that he had died. It wasn't describing what death was. And we know that because the Bible makes it very clear that you are still you and still conscious and still understanding even after death. So let's answer a few more questions that we got here in this pile as we look at at these things. Um, but to, to answer it, I want to first ask you a question because this, this is kind of important, and that is, where is Jesus right now? I mean, we know Jesus had a physical body uh, that was put to death, crucified on earth, and then was raised in a physical body, right? Because he did things that you do with a physical body. He let people touch him, and he ate food, and, and, and otherwise did these things. So, so he had this physical body, and according to Acts chapter 1, on his last day here on earth, Jesus was with them on a mountain, and after he had said these things, he was teaching them, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So, Jesus was out of sight. Yeah. <laughs> Physically and metaphorically. Yeah, I know. Some, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they're better than others, but, but I appreciate the laugh anyways. Um, so, he, he, he was out of sight. So, where was he? Where is he? This is the part where you get to answer. And where's that? Heaven. Yeah, easy. This is not a tough quiz. He, he's, in, he's in heaven right now. And, and there are numerous verses that establish the fact that he is in heaven. Uh, for example, when the very first martyr for the Christian faith, Stephen, when he was being stoned and, and put to death, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Okay? He's in heaven. And, and, you know, we have no idea where heaven is, but it is a place. And Jesus, in his physical resurrected body, is there, which means it has to be a real place. Okay? And, And that's important because the Bible teaches that when we die, we will go to be where Jesus is. So it's good to know where he is, which is in heaven. In Philippians chapter 1, the apostle Paul was in prison, and and he was ruminating on the fact, uh, the very real possibility that he might be put to death, that he might be dying. And and so he's talking about, well, uh, dying, living, and what that would mean. And he said this in verse 23, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, dying or living, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Hey, he understood that when he died, he would immediately go to be with Jesus Christ. That's why it's very much better. And, and, And heaven is a good place, right? Where you will experience good things. You could go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul said, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be with Christ at home with the Lord. 
to be absent from the body. The body's the vehicle, but the real you, to be absent, that's what we call death. And when we're separated from the body, the place we go is to be with the Lord. And perhaps the most famous example of that, of course, is the thief on the cross, right? Uh, as Jesus was being crucified and two others being crucified with him, one of the thieves professed his faith in Christ. And as he professed his faith in him, Jesus responded to him and said, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Not someday down the road, not after your soul goes into a state of soul sleep and at the end of the age, but today. Today, right away, immediately, you'll be with me in paradise, which is another name for heaven. Now, this, this heaven is a literal place where God dwells. He doesn't need a literal place since he's spirit, but, um, but Jesus now in his physical flesh uh, does. So he had this uh, literal place. But we need to understand that this heaven where, where Paul was talking about going, where he says believers will go to be with Jesus, is not our final eternal home. God said he is, he's making a new permanent home for us, a new heavens and a new earth, and that's going to be our eternal destination. Second Peter 3.13 describes it this way, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. That is going to be our permanent home. We will enter that place with our resurrected and glorified physical bodies, the same kind of resurrected body that Jesus has. And once again, our souls will be reunited with our bodies, only new and, and better bodies, and we will live forever there. These bodies will never grow old, will never decay, will never uh, get sick or diseased. We will live forever as God originally planned. That's God's plan. So this current heaven uh, that we go to now when, when we die, uh, that um, is often called by scholars uh, as the intermediate heaven because it's, it's the heaven where we go until the new heavens and earth are created. And even though it's not this wonderful permanent eternal home that we're going to be getting, um, it is still a good uh, place, a, a place of goodness and perfection because it is the place where God is. And as we saw earlier in that verse in Philippians, uh, Paul said it is very much better than earth. It's called home, going home, described as a place of rest and peace and comfort where we are completely separated from sin and from the awful consequences and effects of sin. Now, in the book of Revelation, it gives us a quick picture of one particular group of believers, souls, who are in this intermediate heaven. And these are people who had been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And they are asking God a question. And, and it says, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, from that question, we, we can ascertain a few facts, a few things about heaven. Number one, these souls were talking. So there is 
consciousness uh, and, and interaction and communication taking place amongst them. Number two, they understood the passage of time, didn't they? Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that there be no thing, such thing as time in heaven. And, and if you've said that, I'm not picking on you or anything, but that's baloney. Um, uh, they, they understood the passage of time. Otherwise, the idea of how long would be meaningless, right? They, if, they, if they hadn't realized they were waiting a long time, it wouldn't make any sense. So they understood the passage of time. Here's the thing. Time will be completely different for us in heaven. I want you to understand that. You know why it's going to be different? It's not going to be different in that there's, you know, the days are going to be longer or shorter. Here's the thing. Why is time so precious right now? Because you only have a limited amount. When you get to heaven, there's an unending quantity. And so time won't have the same meaning or power that it has over us now. But we will understand uh, the passage of time. Number three, it shows that they remembered what happened to them down on earth, right? They, they knew that they had been uh, killed for their faith. And they also knew that, that their, the just retribution uh, was still waiting to take place for those who had killed them. So it understood they remembered what was going down on earth. And then there's an answer was given to their question, and that answer also teaches us some things about heaven. Uh, the passage goes on to say, And there was given to each one of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. So again, that resting a little while longer, let's, that'd be meaningless without understanding the passage of time. Uh, but, but this answer implies that there was also an awareness by those souls up in heaven of what was currently happening down on earth, right? Now, we can't read into this more than it says there, okay? We don't know. It doesn't say that they could see and we're watching what was happening down on earth. We don't know what all details they knew, but what we do know is that they understood from what was told them that they have brothers and sisters in the faith down on earth who were being persecuted for their faith just as they had been, and that some of them would also end up being martyred, killed for their faith. So there was this awareness of, of things still happening on earth. All of that to say that the Bible makes it very clear for us that as believers, once we die, he, she, uh, the real you, the spirit, the soul within that person goes immediately to heaven to be with Jesus in the presence of God. And while you're in this intermediate heaven, you are conscious and cognizant. We do not go into some state of soul sleep. We don't wander around the earth, floating around the earth as ghosts, uh, haunting and, and doing this kind of, of stuff. And we're not in some place of, of uh, limbo waiting things out. We're in heaven. 
Jesus told a parable that illustrates what happens to both a believer and non-believer at this time of death. It's found in Luke chapter eight, uh, 16, uh, starting in verse uh, 19. And, and in this particular parable, there are two characters. There is a rich man who is not a, a, a believer and a poor beggar who sits at his gate who is a believer. And the poor man died and was carried away, it says, to Abraham's bosom, which is just a Hebrew nickname for heaven. Okay? And he was in heaven, and there he was experiencing good and relief from the pain and misery and suffering that he had experienced down on earth. The rich man who did not believe also died. But because he had rejected God during this life, he did not go to heaven. Instead, he found him in a place called Hades. Now, I know Hades can be a, a term for general place of the dead in, uh, in the Bible, but it specifically is used uh, for those of unbelievers. And it's this intermediate place uh, where unbelievers reside before hell, but it is already a place of torment and suffering. And in his misery there, this unbelieving rich man wanted the beggar who used to sit at his gate to come and give him just, just a drop of water from his fingertip to put on his tongue to relieve some of his misery. But he was told that that was not permitted, that was not possible. In fact, it was made clear to him that souls could not travel from paradise to Hades or vice versa. Where you are when you go into eternity is where you will be. And it's at that point in the story that we read really a very agonizing verse from the lips of this unbelieving rich man down there. It says, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him, the beggar, to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come down to this place of torment. Yeah, at that point he realized his foolish mistake. He had enjoyed the high life back on earth, man. He had, he had just grabbed all the gusto for himself and he had all the good things and he just lived for the pleasures that he could get day in and day out. But he ignored God. He didn't think about eternity or what comes after death. But now that he was experiencing the reality of it, he was grieved to think that his brothers might suffer the same fate. I think there's three powerful lessons that stand out from this parable for us that we can end with real quickly here. One, there is no second chance. That rich man did not have an opportunity after death to say, oh, I guess I was wrong. Let me change my mind. Let me amend my ways. Let me do this differently. What you choose prior to death is what makes all the difference for what you will experience after death. The second lesson then that impacts us is 
the obvious imperative need to answer that question right now. See, none of us knows the number of days that we have. But what we do know is that those days are numbered. And now is the time to make sure that your soul is right with God. The Bible makes it clear that only by putting your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins will you be permitted into paradise. So have you have you taken that all-important step? Have you made that decision? What's your reason for putting it off if you haven't? Third lesson. Now is the time to share with others. The rich man desperately wanted to go back and warn his brothers, but there is no going back. And we all have people that we love and care about. Family, friends, coworkers, neighbors. And we never know when our last opportunity to impact them might be. And Jesus has forgiven your sins. He has given you eternal life. He has made you a new creation. That's the hope and the good news of the gospel that everyone needs. And we should be as willing to share that now as we would be beyond the grave and wishing we could come back. But at the same time, we need to keep in mind that though we have this desire to share, we cannot make anyone come to Christ. We can show, we can share, but they are responsible for the decision or lack thereof that they make. So beyond sharing your faith and showing the love of Jesus Christ in practical ways, our main responsibility is to pray because it is only the Holy Spirit who can draw people into saving faith. And so we can ask God to send His Spirit to draw those people we love, knowing that it is up to that person whether they'll respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit or not but also knowing that God will provide the opportunity in the way and that His desire for them to come to salvation is even stronger than our own. So we share. And we never know what may go on in a person's heart, even up to that last breath they take. But we do know that God is faithful and that His grace and mercy are abundant and free. Would you bow with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I would be remiss if I didn't ask. If there is anyone here who has not made that decision for Jesus Christ, now is the time. We may think that we have many, many, many days left, but we do not know the days that God has ordained for us. You can accept Christ simply and quietly in your heart 
by admitting your need for him, your guilt as a sinner, and asking for his forgiveness. And if you do that, I would love for you to come and talk to me sometime. Father God, we are so thankful. Thankful for your word. We are thankful, God, that you love us, that you draw us, that you desire for each person to come into a saving faith with you. And that we need not fear death because of what you have done for us. God, we're so grateful that we know that this world is not all there is, that this is not as good as it gets. Even though you've given us many good and beautiful things to enjoy, there is much pain and suffering here as well. And you have a better plan. So God, may we, may we yield to that plan. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.